Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy discussed some reasons people are ashamed of the gospel. This week, Pastor Murphy will show us some reasons that Paul gives for not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would ask you to turn back with me, please, to the Book of Romans the book of Romans chapter 1. I would like to continue by reading from verse number 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, would you look there with me please? Uh, Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. And uh, notice Paul's words. He writes to these believers and he says to them in verse number 16, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Could we ask the Lord to help us as we do a study in this particular passage? Father, we thank you for those that are here with us this evening. We also thank you for the witness and the testimony of those that shared with the church the diverse ways in which you are working in our individual lives. We thank you in a very real sense. Every testimony was unique to that individual. And I pray that those that are sitting and listening and hearing would appreciate that we have a multifaceted God and he extends grace in a multifaceted way. That he deals with us not as a collective mass of humanity, but individuals that have specific needs and who need areas in their lives uh, that need to be addressed And we thank you that God is able to meet those individual needs. I pray tonight that we will understand that we have an even greater need than our individual needs. And the greatest need that we have is that we need what the Bible calls righteousness. The Bible says without holiness no man shall see God. We sometimes forget this truth. And we have so lowered the standard of what it means to be a Christian that there are people who consistently live unrighteous lives who yet boast of a great hope that they have. It's amazing how people can be in the church and still live in a world of illusion because of lack of clarity as far as the word is concerned. Help that this ministry would stand on the truth no matter how unpleasant that truth may be that we would declare it and that we would preach it, we would stand on it, and Lord, that we would even be willing, if the time should ever come, to even die for it. Truth is the only means of applying to the people's mind. The whole battle is in the ear of the mind. And as we bring to bear upon the minds of men the truth of God, that it brings about change and transformation. So I pray tonight as we go into your word once again 
that you will help us to gird up the loins of our minds, that we would perk up our ears, we would pay attention, that we will try to grasp what Paul teaches, and understand that in grasping what teaches Paul teaches, we also grasp what God intends for us to learn. Because this is not Paul's book or Peter's book, this is God's book. And he used human instruments to give us his manual so that we can be instructed. So help us tonight, help me in particular, as I try to take the word of God and try to explain it. That's my responsibility. I pray that you'll give me the capacity to use clarity and simplicity. At the same time, I pray that your spirit would find through your word the ammunition that is needed to break down the elevated thoughts that men have and the contrary thinking that so much blocks the way to people's understanding. So open eyes that they may see, open hearts that they may respond to your truth, subdue wills that they may yield to your word. And we'll thank you, Lord, for whatever is done this evening, for we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have embarked on a series of studies in the book of Romans. I have lost check of how many sermons we've had on this particular book so far. But I can tell you that we'll be here for a long, long time. Because we are still in chapter number one. I can't wait to get into chapters number 12 and those practical parts of the the book. I think a lot of people like what they call practicality. But it's significant that when the Apostle Paul, before he even talks about things that we need to do, the Apostle Paul always builds on doctrine. You see, practice comes out of doctrine. Practice comes out of truth. So you've got to lay the foundation of truth first. And out of an understanding and the comprehension of that truth, then out of that flows obedience. See? And that is why to ignore one and to try to get the other produced in believers' lives, why not lay the foundation of truth? is truncating the message and not being effective in terms of motivating people to follow the word. Now tonight I want us to return to our study of Romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. This will be the fourth message on these two verses. And you remember that the Apostle Paul is dealing with the general theme of his attitude towards the gospel. Uh, Paul is saying to us he's not ashamed of the gospel. And what we've been trying to understand is, why does Paul make that statement? Now we pointed out to you that the expression when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, there is a particular literary form called a litotes. And what that is in the uh, expression, it has to do with stating something negative, but intended it to be positive. So when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what Paul is saying, I am immensely prepared to boast in the gospel. I boast in the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. It's like young people today who said they're bad. You know, when you hear them say the word bad, they really mean that good. Uh, I, I don't know if you understand the expression. It used to baffle me when the boys said, that, that, per, that person is bad. You know, I'm an old fogey, so I think bad mean they're bad. But really mean, they, they normally mean the very opposite of that. Well, whether or not they know they're using like totes or not, that's what Paul is using here. So when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the apostle Paul is saying, listen, I am so enamored with the gospel. I, I, I so much want to boast about this gospel. Uh, I, I, I hold nothing back in this gospel. I want to declare it. I want to affirm it. 
I want people to know about it because I find in this gospel the answer to man's dilemma and man's predicament. And that is why the apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. Paul saw that the main need of man is not food and clothing. It's not the economics of a country. Now I'm not saying we we forget those things or misunderstand me. But man's greatest need is the fact that man is lost before God. And that man needs some rescue plan to bring man back in alignment with God. Listen, all of us in here, we have a very short lifespan. Very short lifespan. If you live to be 60 or 70 or 80, you think that's a lot of years? What's that compared with eternity? (laughs) You are going to spend eternity somewhere, friend. And if you, if you haven't faced that reality as yet, now if you're just as dead as a dog, we have nothing to worry about. Take it from me. Nothing to worry about if you're as dead as a dog. But if, if man is dying now, and man is being prepared for another life, the most important question is, how do we prepare for that other life? And the apostle Paul said, it's the gospel that prepares you to meet God. See? And that is why the Apostle Paul would boast in the gospel. Now, so he makes this bold, unapologetic assertion, an affirmation that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And then the Apostle Paul begins to elaborate and give us several reasons for this positive assertion. You ask the question, well, why are you not ashamed of the gospel? And then Paul begins to itemize and and divide and specify why he is not ashamed of the gospel. You remember that we look in the first sermon about possible reasons why a man would be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to go back on that, but listen to me. There are people who are ashamed of the gospel. I would guarantee you that there are times when you go in a situation like a bank. I've seen people in the bank, and man, they cuss God, they cuss Christ. And I'm sure there are Christians in there who say, say one word. They're embarrassed to take a stand for God. There are what you might call secret disciples. I don't know if such a thing exists. But, but they remain mute. See, and say nothing. So we, there are reasons why a man, you know, in the intellectual climate in which we live, there are people who are ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. They want something esoteric. They want something philosophical. They want something that is an enigma. Something that is so difficult, you have to beat your brain until you can... But to come up with a simple gospel that God has solved the problem, and all a man needs to do is to embrace what God has done. They say, it is too simple. We want something complicated. Tell me walk to Mecca on my knees, and maybe that would work. See? Tell me go into some great tome, some great books, and read the ancients, and, and maybe I can get some kind of philosophy out of that. But a simple gospel, like believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, that is... Too simplistic. That's for kids. That's not for us moderns or, or us intellectuals. See? And of course, in the climate in which Paul ministered, the predominant culture was the Greek culture. And you recall that those of you that have noticed, you know, long before Christ came on the scene, there was Aristotle, there was Plato, there was Pythagoras. All the great Greek philosophers existed before Christ came. I don't know if you know that. And that is what the, the Roman culture had embraced Greek culture. They were interested in ideas, not about a person who died on the cross. Who cares about that? And but that was the message of the gospel. So you can see the embarrassment of not being able to compare Christianity and the gospel with something that is philosophical. That could have intimidated people who were carrying the gospel. So we looked at the whole matter 
of the fact that some reasons, and I'm not going to repeat those reasons again. The second sermon had to do with Paul's first reason for not being ashamed. And the reason why Paul said he's not ashamed is because of, of the gospel itself. And we talk about the nature of the gospel. We talk about the, the author of the gospel. And we talk about the, the center and the, and the theme of the gospel. It is called the gospel of God. He's the author. It's called the gospel of Christ. He's the theme. See? And we pointed out to you that the word gospel means good news, glad tidings. It's good news to man. Something that God has done for man. So we, we looked at that. I'm not going to recount that again. And then the second sermon... We look at the second reason that Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. He said it's the power of God unto salvation. And the word power there, the word dunamis. It's the, the dynamite of God. And then we talk about Paul talking about salvation. It delivers man from four different things. This gospel. It delivers man from what we call the penalty of sin. It delivers man from what we call the power of sin. It delivers man for what we call the pollution of sin. And thank God it will deliver us from the very presence of sin. And we, we talked about those four different levels of salvation. One has to do with the past, your guilt, and the condemnation that Christ paid the price. One has to do with the present, which has to do with the pollution of sin and the need for power to overcome that sin nature. And one has to do with the future that one day we will finally be delivered from the presence of sin. Now anything that can do that. And really authentically do that. How can a man be ashamed of that? So Paul looked at the fact that the gospel was God's power. And Paul says, I, I can't be ashamed of a gospel that demonstrates God's power. And by the way, for those of you who are suspectful of God's power. Say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, sir, madam, could I suggest to you to go around and meet the people in our church and ask them about where they came from? Ask them what they passed before they came to Christ. What they were like. And ask them as a result of Christ coming to look what they are now. Could I say something to you? What they were, they were no, they're no longer. Something has happened. It's called change. It's called transformation. That, sir, is power. See, That's power. As a matter of fact, could I say to you that that's the whole dilemma that man finds himself. How can we transform people and change people? We try politics, that doesn't work. We try psychology, that doesn't work. We try philosophy, that doesn't work. We can try everything. The only thing that works is the gospel. See? Because all the other means will bring about some measure of transformation, but it's never lasting. It is something temporal. But in regard to this gospel, it is a life transforming gospel that when you put your faith and trust in Christ and understand this gospel and embrace this gospel, sir, I'm telling you, you are never the same again. Everything changes. Everything changes. Now, if you doubt that, I would suggest to you before you become a skeptic tonight, try talking to some of the people in the church. But you don't have to trust the people in this church either. Go over here to the other Villa Church and talk to some of those people. Ask them what they were like before they got saved. Ask them what happened after they got saved. Ask them how is life now. And you'll discover the same thing. Something happened that transformed me and made me a different person. See? That's the gospel, sir. And how dare a man be ashamed of that? See, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. And then, I, I want to tonight look at the third reason that Paul gives 
why he's not ashamed of this gospel. And that's found in verse number 17. Notice again, he said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Paul is now saying, let me give you a third reason why I am not ashamed of this gospel. And Paul is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's in the gospel that I find God reveals his righteousness. Now, I'll come to what that means, by the way, because Martin Luther misunderstood that verse. And that verse brought Martin Luther to the point of complete despair. Because he took that verse and he wrestled with that verse and he could not figure out what that verse meant. What does it mean when it says, in the gospel, God's righteousness has been revealed? And Martin Luther, through his misinterpretation, he reached to the point where, if that is true, came to the conclusion that there was no hope for him and no hope for anybody. I'll explain to you how he interpreted that verse. So the proper interpretation of this verse is crucial to understanding what the gospel is all about. By the way, could I say this? One of the biggest problems the churches face is this. We preach a gospel that has nothing to do with righteousness. We don't tell people the gospel about righteousness, do we? No, what we tell the gospel, the gospel feeling happy and jolly. And, and having emotions and getting cheap thrills, you know. The gospel is about, you know, all the burdens I have, I, I don't have those burdens, all my problems. God is now like a genie. He's a Santa Claus. See? That's the gospel we present. We present the gospel with hardly any reference to the fact that the gospel is about righteousness. That's what the gospel is about. So what we have is people embracing what I call a pseudo gospel, a false gospel. Because they don't come into the Christian faith with the idea, the righteousness. They come in with the idea, well, the gospel of I escape in hell. They have no conception whatsoever about what this gospel is. And I keep saying this, and you've heard me say this several times on this pulpit. The modern church has created monstrosity called the church today. That people can sit in our pews, live on the most ungodly lives, get up in church and do anything that any other person would do. It's amazing. And they feel jolly happy that they're going to heaven. Because we have not emphasized what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to us, what the gospel is about is that it reveals the righteousness of God. Listen to me. If there's one thing you need and I need is righteousness, eh? No man is going before God without righteousness. That's why the Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see God. I didn't say, I didn't say. I'm just a messenger telling you what he said. No man without holiness will see God. It's about righteousness. We'll explain what that means shortly. So I want to take up that particular expression in verse number 17. And we are not going to be able to cover the whole of verse 17. We'll come back to what it means from faith to faith. Right? We'll talk about that. By the way, let, let me just say this. Not everybody got faith. I hear people telling people that everybody got faith. You're mistaken. What happened is that, you know, they use an illustration that, you know, you don't sit down on a chair unless you've got faith in a chair. No, that's the law of probability. 
See? The law of probability, I know that normally when you sit there, the chair will hold you up. So I, I apply the law of probability to the chair. But I ain't got faith. Paul says in the first, is that not everybody got faith. I'll show you that verse. But we give people the impression that everybody got faith. That's a mistake. Sad mistake. Well, I don't want to get you confused tonight, but we'll come back to that. But I show you that everybody doesn't have faith. See? And I would say this. Even if people had faith, they don't have the kind of faith that is required to believe. Distinctive faith, we'll come to that as we discuss this particular passage, etc. But notice what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's for our God and salvation. Then he says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The first thing I want to say to you, take that word reveal. When you come to the gospel, you've got to understand that there is what I call a revelation. A revealing. Now, this is one of the key words in the New Testament. It is one of the most important words of the Christian faith. For there is no Christianity without revelation. I repeat, there is no Christianity without revelation. Can I say to you that Christianity is not a speculative faith? Christianity is not a faith to say, listen, we, let us join together and be, go in this great search and quest for truth. That is not Christianity. Christianity will tell you, join us and let us pursue truth. Christianity is saying to you, truth has been revealed. See? It's not something you search for. Ah, boy, you didn't want to hear that. You want to hear it, you've got to go through this great intellectual exercise and dig through Paul and get your Greek lexicon and Try to find every little word, every little nuance that Paul is saying. Listen, the most transparent truth in the Bible is the gospel. It's a revelation. A revelation. Now, so when Paul says that it is revealed and it's a revelation, the apostle Paul is saying the gospel is something that God announces and God declares and something that God reveals. The word revelation means the unveiling. That's what it means. God has unveiled something. Something was hidden by a veil. Now in the gospel, God has taken that veil and removed that veil and said to you, listen, this is what it is. Christianity is not about little secrets that you join the lodge and only the, 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 the group that belong to the lodge will know these little secrets. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about telling you truth. It's truth for everybody. The simple-minded, the intellect, everybody. See? It's not something private that we keep and we only will give it to people if they join the church. No, sir. Our commission is to declare the gospel because something has been revealed. So the word here means to make manifest. It means to make plain, to make clear. It it means to make something noble. It means clarity. It means transparency. That, sir, is what the gospel is all about. It is about God revealing and God unveiling and God making something plain and clear. What does God reveal? And Paul says, it has to do with what? The righteousness of God. Now I think before we begin to deal with what that means, I need to make a few comments on this. When Paul says that in the gospel, here it is the righteous God revealed. We've got to be very careful how we interpret those particular verses. There needs to be some kind of clarification. We must not interpret what Paul is saying to suggest that God's way of righteousness was never known in the past. That's the way people interpret that. 
But if God's way of righteousness was never known in the past, how can anybody be saved but Christians? Could I say to you, we all get saved the same way? Some have tended to believe that the concept of the gospel of righteousness was unknown in the Old Testament. And they suggest to you that the Old Testament writers, etc., etc., had no revelation of this gospel. But that is patently false. Look at chapter 1 and verse 2, what he says. Chapter 1. He says in verse 1, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the what? The gospel. Then he goes on to explain, which he had what? Promise where? Afore by the prophets in his holy scriptures. So Paul is saying, this gospel was promised in the Old Testament. That's what Paul is saying. So to even to suggest that the gospel was not known in the Old Testament, is to miss what Paul is saying. It was there in the Old Testament. And then look at verse 17 of the same book we just read, verse 1, verse 17. He said, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. What? As it is what? The Joshua lived by faith. And who does he quote? He quotes Habakkuk. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, look, Habakkuk understood what I'm talking about. Habakkuk wrote what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I will point out to you that how Luther came to faith was when he came to this verse, the just shall live by faith. It's his understanding of that. So the idea that it is revealed to suggest that it was never ever mentioned in the Old Testament is to miss the point. Paul said it was written. And according to the scriptures. And then if you look with me at chapter 3 of the book of Romans in verse number 21. Look what it says there. He says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Being witnessed by what? The law and the prophets. Paul is saying the law and the prophets witness to God's righteousness. And Paul is saying the gospel reveals God's righteousness. So he's not suggesting in any way you're thinking that this was not something that God had not revealed or man, uh, God did not put in his word before. And by the way, when we come to chapter 4, the entire chapter 4, the Apostle Paul devotes the entire chapter to proving that the gospel was known in Abraham's day. Did you know that? Paul showed that Abraham was saved the same way you got saved. A whole chapter. And then our Lord made a very cryptic statement. I don't know if you've ever seen that cryptic statement. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 56. He said to the Jews, here's a puzzle. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And what did he say? And he saw it and was glad. Now when did Abraham see it? When he sacrificed his son, that was a prototype of God sacrificing his son. You remember as a substitute? See? And then of course, clearly uh, Paul is saying that Abraham grasps what he's teaching here. And we know from chapter number 4 that Paul is going to prove that Abraham was justified by faith. See? Remember God came out to Abraham and said... Um, 
look at the heavens and see all the stars and and so on. I'll make you as the stars. Now when God tells Abraham that, he doesn't have any progeny. He doesn't have any seed. And then God said, I will make your, your ancestors like the sand of the sea. It's hyperbole. But the idea is that out of you will come a great nation. And here, when God is telling him that, he is surrounded by all the Canaanites, you know. But the Bible says, and Abraham what? Believe God. Believe God. And they said it was counted to him for righteousness. That is the gospel, sir. That's the gospel and it's just in its essence. The point I'm making here is that we need to be very clear that when Paul says that the gospel reveals the righteousness of Christ, we must not assume that there was no nothing in the Old Testament that speaks to this issue about God providing righteousness on the basis of faith. Paul is saying that in the law it is there. Go to Abraham's life and you find it is there. Go to the prophets, you'll find that it is there as well. That's the point that Paul is making here. And then just in case these believers miss the whole argument, if you look at chapter 16 of Romans, as he's coming to the end of the, the entire book of Romans, he mentions it one more time. Look at it quickly. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, sorry, and 26. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But it's now made manifest by what? By the scriptures of what? The prophets according to the everlasting God. So Paul is saying whatever I am teaching you in the book of Romans. It was already in the Old Testament. But the problem is this. It was veiled. It was there but it was veiled. It was not clear. That's Paul's point here as far as that is concerned. So Paul is here saying... That this that was veiled in the Old Testament is now in the gospel made transparently or as the politicians pollutedly clear. <laughs> that was a favorite word of Bird. I've heard him several times on the radio. Everything is pollutedly clear. <laughs> that means so clear that you can't, you, you got to see it. <laughs> Transparent. <laughs> so what the Apostle Paul is really saying to us here. Is that all that the gospel is about, which is about God's righteousness. The prophets wrote about it. But the problem was, there was a veil. And people didn't fully understand, didn't see what this gospel was all about. But now, in the dispensation of grace, under the new covenant, God has lifted the veil. And made it very clear to men what this gospel is all about. By the way, if you look at 1 Peter for just a moment, 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll see the problem that these prophets had about this gospel that Paul is talking about. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 10 and verse to verse number 12, look what Peter says. Of which salvation, verse 10, the prophets have inquired, searching diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto us. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. When it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them 
that have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. What's Paul saying basically? The prophets, as they're writing these prophetic writings, they understood that there was some aspect of God providing righteousness. But they couldn't figure it out. What time would this happen? What did it really mean? And even though they contemplated and thought about it, they said it was revealed to them that it wasn't had to do with their dispensation, their time. It was for us. The new dispensation. So clearly, there was an element of understanding of this truth. But it was still veiled. It was dimly perceived. It was opaque. There was no clarity to it. Then Paul says, it's no longer a mystery, no longer enigma any longer. God has made it very plain to everybody. And Paul is saying, I can't be ashamed of that. How can I be ashamed of something that God has made so transparent to mankind? It has been revealed. Now that brings me to the third point. What does Paul mean when Paul talks about the righteousness of God in this particular passage? Now let me just be very, very clear. If you don't understand this, you are not in the kingdom of God. I want to make that very, very clear to you. See, This is crucial. If you don't understand what this means, if you sit there tonight and say, Pastor, I have a clue what you're talking about. I want to say to you, you're not a Christian. I make no apology for saying that. See? Absolutely no apology for saying that. Because it is this understanding of this truth, grasping this truth, believing this truth, embracing this truth, appropriating this truth, that makes a man a Christian. I don't know if you know that or not. Now this is one of the key expressions you'll find. As a matter of fact, I think it's the key to the entire book of Romans. This truth about the righteousness of God. Can I go on another thing? saying? I think it's the key to understanding all of the Pauline epistles. That we have got what is called an imputed righteousness put to our account. All of Paul's epistles. You cannot comprehend and understand the Pauline epistles until you understand this concept. Of the righteousness of God being provided for us. So it's very, very crucial that we come to grasp what Paul is saying here. Now, I want to remind you that it was not until the great Protestant Reformation... And the great Martin Luther. It was not until Martin Luther finally understood this truth. And believed it. That Martha, uh, uh, that he actually became a true Christian. Remember that Luther was a Catholic. He was a priest in the Catholic church. He went into the monastery. Remember also that Luther was a theologian. That Luther taught in one of the main universities in, in, in Germany. And Luther thought theology, but he wasn't saved. Remember that. Remember that the whole life of Martin Luther is about how can he get right with God? How can he get right with God? And he tried everything. He tried penance. He tried fasting. As a matter of fact, Luther would go in, in, in when a storm came. Luther would go in the storm and just get soaked with the rain and wanted God to somehow send some lightning and, and do something. He was that mad to get to know God. But you know what stopped Luther from entering the kingdom for so long? This one verse. He could not understand what it means that in the gospel, 
the righteousness of God is revealed. I wouldn't say he could not understand how he interpreted that verse. Kept blocking Luther's way. And I'll explain to you what happened. So I can say to you here, if you are Protestant, if you're Baptist, if you're whatever, if you're part of the Protestant Reformation, let me just say to you, <laughs> it's this verse that brought about the Protestant Reformation. This verse we're talking about here. This is the key verse to the Protestant Reformation. It is such a crucial verse. And that's why we need to grasp and understand what Paul is saying here. So I don't think there's any verse more vital in the scriptures for us who claim to be Protestants than this verse which talk about in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now what does it mean when Paul talks about the righteousness of God revealed here in the gospel? I want to start with a negative. First of all, Paul does not mean when he talks about the righteousness of God revealed, Paul is not saying that in the gospel the attribute that God is righteous is revealed in the gospel. Now, you know that when theologians are discussing the person of God, they normally talk about that God. And they normally put those attributes under two headings. There's one called the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. One is called the moral attributes of God and one is called the non-moral attributes of God. The reason why they put it in that classification, they realize that there are attributes of God that set God apart from man. So there's some attributes that cannot be communicated to man. Those are called non-commutable. For example, his infinity, his aseity, his deity. Those are things that can never be passed on to man. But God is also righteous. God is love. God is is, is kind. God is is long-suffering. Now those are attributes of God that are passed on to man. That's why they classify them under those two different headings. But when Paul talks about in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is not talking about in the gospel, the fact that God is righteous is revealed. His, his attribute of righteousness is revealed. That's not what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, could I say to you that if that were true, that would be the most terrifying an intrepidating thing for us. That if in the gospel all God revealed that he's a righteous God. What would you do? <laughs> Think about that for just a moment. If in the gospel all the death of Christ. All it means is God is showing you how righteous he is. Well if he had to punish a perfect person to prove. What are you going to do with you? How are you going to escape? See? So it's not talking about in the gospel God reveals the fact that he is righteous. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Because if that's what was emphasized by the gospel, I want to tell you right now, we better shut the church, go home, because there's no hope for you, brother, no hope for you, sister, no hope, no hope for me either. If that's what the gospel is all about. Because if God had to crucify his son Jesus because he was righteous, and that's what the gospel is emphasizing, I don't come even a point one, 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 how many more zeros percent of what Jesus was? <laughs> So I am in real trouble. It's the most terrifying thing. But that's not what the Bible is saying. Now let me tell you why this is so crucial. When Luther was trying to find God. Or finding the way to have peace with God. Let me put it that way. Luther decided that he would embark on a series of studies in the book of Romans. And he would lecture a series of Romans to his students. Now remember, he's a theological student. There's a man teaching the university theology. He's trying to find... Now, can you imagine the, the anomaly of that? That I am trying to tell people God and I don't even know God? I'm teaching about God and I don't even know who God is? 
That was Luther's dilemma. But he couldn't tell anybody because after all, he would lose his tenure of teaching. You're teaching theology, don't even know the theology you're teaching. So what he did, he began to embark on a series of lectures in the book of Romans. And he was teaching his students, he was going through the book of Romans. And then as Luther was going through the book of Romans, he came to verse 17. Again, look at it again. Our text. For therein is the grace of God revealed from faith to faith. And Luther said, okay, the gospel reveals the righteousness. But what does that mean? And let me quote what Luther said. Listen to his words. And I quote. He said, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words in Romans 1.17. He said, I sought long and not anxiously for the expression, the righteousness of God revealed. But But he said, it blocked my way. That was the verse that I couldn't get over. What does that mean? Every time I want to approach God, I'm hearing in the gospel, it's about the righteousness of God. So Luther's saying, but if that is true, there's no hope for me. Because the way he interpreted that verse. You see, Luther thought that when Paul said that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, Luther thought that The highest expression of God's righteousness was when he killed his son. You see, Luther knew there was the rights of God revealed in the law. And you know that. He knew he couldn't keep the law. But now, when you come to this passage saying, well, wait a minute, if I couldn't keep the law, which revealed God's righteousness, but now he kills his son to show his supreme right. Luther's saying, wow, I ain't got no hope. I ain't got no hope. I can't keep the law. I can't come up to the standard of, my, of his son. What hope is there for me? Because Luther believed the death of Christ on the cross was the supreme expression of God's righteousness. It was showing to the world how righteous God was. Just like the law. But you know, it's one thing to show me in the law how righteous God is. But I don't have the power to keep it. See, But now that is not enough. Luther is saying... But no, no, God took his son and, and put his son in it, and he still crucified his son to show his expression of righteousness. And Luther said, Woe is me. I can't, there's no hope for me. It was an interpretation of this verse. Luther said, I read that verse and it blocked the way. I wanted the way to God, but that verse blocked the way. I could not get over that verse, what that verse meant. It terrified me. Listen to what he said once more again. And I quote, he said, as often as I read that declaration, Romans 1.17, I wished always that God had never made the gospel known. Listen, said, I, I wished God had never told anybody about the gospel. Because if this is what the gospel is, to show me how righteous God is. Luther said, I want a God not tell me because the law he showed me, I couldn't keep it. Now he's telling me what I, I need to be. I can't be like a son, but yet he slay his son. So I wish there was no gospel. It was a barrier to Luther. And then he put it this way. He said, I saw in the gospel this fuller revelation of the righteousness of God, which seemed to make me utterly hopeless and helpless. And I did not know what to do with myself. The righteousness of God blocked my way. Now, when you come to this passage, you misinterpret like Luther. You're left 
you're left with nowhere to go. There's nowhere to turn to, if that's your interpretation. But what does Paul mean? And when did the light come on in Luther's head that he fully, fully understood what that meant? Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us that the gospel reveals man's need of righteousness, which is provided through God's Son in the gospel, a truth that Martin Luther also discovered. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.